some and not some others. Saw a few things this week. I don't know if you noticed this, but uh, the Reverend John Collins passed away. And uh, uh, I mean, quite a remarkable guy, really. Uh, he was a, a, an Anglican vicar in the 60s, sleepy little Anglican church, he describes it as. And they sat there one evening and the Holy Spirit falls on them and completely revolutionizes, really, the life of that church. And in 1980, he's appointed to a, a church in uh, London called Holy Trinity Brompton, uh, HCB, as it's known. And it was him who brought across John Wimber, who's charismatic uh, guy, and really introduced them to really the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And uh, over the next number of years, what came out of that church was, of course, the Alpha Course. Uh, Justin Welby was one of the, the current Archbishop, uh, Archbishop of Canterbury, was one of the first guys that John Collins sent over to America. Uh, in terms of understanding the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Uh, the leaders of the Vineyard Church in the UK came out of that church. And it was him who actually, in 1984 or 5, did the first plant into St. Mark's Battersea, uh, where they took over a, a large building and basically replanted a congregation there. So actually, a lot of what has come out of HDB, Alpha Marriage Course, Church Plants, Worldwide, blah, 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 started with this guy, the Reverend John Collins. You just never know, do you? I mean, you never know how God is going to use what you faithfully do in the end. We all probably know, if you're a Christian here, something of HDB, something of what they're doing, actually started with God. God used this guy, first of all. And he's in heaven today and loving it. That's what it is, isn't it? I mean, there you go. He steps out of this world and into glory. Thanks very much. When I get to heaven, I'm going to go and shake his hand. Uh, don't you ever think like that? There are lots of people I want to shake the hand of and give them a hug when I get to heaven. Um, the other thing, uh, Jane and I weren't here last uh, week. It was Lewis's baptism. Is Lewis here? I don't know if he's here. Oh, Lewis, good. So have you managed to tie up with that guy yet? Do we, is it definitely or is it not? Or Okay. All right. Let me just explain. All right. So let so, Obviously, Lewis got baptized last week here. Jane and I were over in Seven Oaks preaching at the New Ground Church there. Uh, and so we couldn't, be, we, we couldn't be with you. But because I was in Seven Oaks, and part of Lewis's testimony was that he, if you remember, uh, went to a bridge at the back end of Seven Oaks and uh, was just, a, you know, weighing up doing something crazy. And a Christian guy stopped, if you remember, and asked him, was, all, was he all right? And could he, you know, pray for him, etc. You know that bit of the story. But we didn't know who that guy was. But because I was in Seven Oaks at the time, I thought I would just very quickly tell the story and chuck it out there. Somewhere there's a great saint in Seven Oaks who had a major part in, you know, blessing Lewis. And he's getting baptized today and blah, blah, blah. And so if you're here, you know, let us know. At which point this bloke puts his hand up. <laughs> and uh, we're just having it checked through to make sure there's not two incidences. But uh, it was one of those I stopped and went, really? You know? And... Uh, in fact, he was like there, tears in his eyes, his wife sticking up uh, his hand, doing one of those <laughs> kind of things. And uh, yeah, I know the guy, lovely South African guy. And um, quite amazing, really. So you never know, do you? And the Reverend Collins didn't know what God was going to do through him when he did that. I mean, Andre, this guy's name, didn't know what God was going to do in Lewis's life. He just stopped and obeyed God and showed compassion. 
Why don't we pray? Yeah, Lord, we just want to bless you. We want to thank you, Lord. We want to thank you that you are the God of history. Lord, you're the one that weaves our lives together. Lord, you're the one that knows what it is that you want to do. It's your kingdom that's advancing. And Lord, all you've called us to do is to be faithful. Uh, like that picture of the orchestra, Lord. You've just called us to play our part, Lord. Whether that's a triangle or a bassoon or whatever it may be, Lord. That's all you ask us to do, play our part. So we thank you for that, Lord. And I do pl- pray this morning as I'm speaking about words and knowledge, Lord, if there are things that you want to share this morning, if there are prophetic words, if there are words of knowledge, if there are things on your heart, Father, that you want to share for the good and the blessing of your children and your church, then, Lord, I pray right now as I'm speaking, by your Holy Spirit, would you be giving different ones of us words and pictures, scriptures? Would you be recalling things to mind, Lord? We thank you that we can gather, Lord, and we are meeting with one another, but more importantly, we're meeting with you. And when we meet with you, you speak and you do things. So, Lord, we just want to pray. There's things you want to say and do this morning. Lord, would you use us? Would you use us? I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, so we are continuing our series, and we're looking at some of the specific gifts of the Holy Spirit. And this morning, we're thinking about words of knowledge. And as I said, at the end, we will have some time uh, to ask God, is there anything he wants to speak to us about this morning? And it may be a word of knowledge. It may be a prophetic word. doesn't matter. I'm not going to worry. If it's from God, then it's good, and we want it. Uh, so just do be listening uh, to whatever God might be saying to you. So let's think about words of knowledge. Let's think about knowledge to begin with. There are a few different forms of knowledge, right? There's stuff that we know uh, that is like human knowledge. Humans have know it. We've learned it. We've studied. We've learned from others. Obviously, we see the fruits of that in you know, medicine and education and engineering, etc. Just knowledge, things that we can know as humans. Secondly, the Bible talks about the fallen world supernatural knowledge. In other words, where men or women attempt to gain knowledge from a supernatural means other than the Holy Spirit. So you'd include here anything like occult or tarot cards or uh, uh, psychics. Basically, and there is a supernatural world, as you understand. There is God, there is the devil, there are angels, there are demons. And any attempt to try and gain knowledge from any source in the supernatural world that is not from God, that's what this is, is bad supernatural knowledge. God says, do not go after that kind of knowledge. Even if what is said may temporarily appear to help comfort whoever it's being given to, if the source is not from God, then it is not good. Okay? That's the second kind of knowledge. Third kind of knowledge the Bible talks about is true spiritual knowledge, which it really defines as knowing God personally through Jesus. That is the ultimate knowledge, that we created beings can know a holy God. That is really true knowledge. And then fourthly, the one that we're going to look at today, which is a word of knowledge. And I've put a definition in your notes. I'll read it through. might be worth just following it because then you'll get your head around it. A word of knowledge is the supernatural revelation of facts about a person or a situation which is not learned through the efforts of the natural mind, but is a fragment of knowledge freely given by God 
disclosing the truth which the Holy Spirit wishes to be made known concerning a particular person or situation. So word of knowledge is when God reveals a fact or facts to you about either a person or a group of people or a situation, something that's going on that you didn't work out yourself. It didn't come from your own cleverness. It's been revealed to you by God. And he's done that because God wants it to be made known. And it's often coupled with the idea that God wants to do something about it or he wants us to do something about it. In other words, God is not going around gossiping, right? He's not going around, you know, telling you, uh, you know, the, some facts about this person because he's just, you know, gossiping. Ooh, did you know? Ooh, it, it's not that. It's, it's God wanting to make something known in order that either he's going to do something or we're going to do something. There's purpose, if you like, in it. So we're going to look at a number of Bibles a number of examples from the Bible of words of knowledge I think might help us just to get our heads around it. And sometimes we see the word of knowledge, not because the Bible says, and then he got or she got a word of knowledge and the word of knowledge with this. What we see is the person suddenly knows what to do. Suddenly they say X, Y, or Z. And we've worked out, ah, God in the moment has told you this. So let's have a look. There are a few reasons that we see in the Bible why God would give words of knowledge. The first one is to reveal truth. So we're going to look at a couple of examples from two kings to begin with, a disclosure of hypocrisy. Now, you've just got to put yourself back in those days. The people of God, the nation of Israel, had a number of neighboring nations. And at different times, the nations were at war with each other and at war with the nation of Israel. And one of these particular neighboring nations was called Aram, and Naaman was a commander in the army of the king of Aram. So he's not one of the Israelites, not one of God's people, one of the neighbors, but this guy Naaman, he's a commander in the army, and he's described as being highly regarded. He's valiant. The king of Aram, you know, obviously really likes this guy, this commander that he's got. And the Bible says in 2 Kings 5 that he gets leprosy. And in those days, leprosy, basically, you're going to be shunned, you're going to be put out, you're going to be ostracized. It's effectively the end of things for you. And during one of the raids by the Aramean army, they captured this young Israelite girl, and she is now a servant stroke slave of Naaman's wife. And when she gets to hear that Naaman's got leprosy, she tells them about the prophet Elijah. Uh, Elisha. She said, look, in Israel, there's a prophet called Elisha, and, and God uses him to do supernatural things like healing people. And so the king of Aram, he sends Naaman with a whole load of gold and silver to the king of Israel with the request that the king of Israel gets Elisha to heal Naaman. Are you following me? And he sends him there, and when Naaman, uh, the, the king of Israel when he, when he receives Naaman, he's in absolute spin. He thinks the king of Aram is picking a fight with him. You've sent me this bloke with leprosy. I can't heal him. And you've given me all this gold. And if I can't do it, you're going to say you're going to be offended. And now you're going to start a fight. This is what the king of Israel thinks. The king of Aram's trying to pick a fight with him. And so he goes into a complete spin. But Elisha, the prophet, says, send him to me. 
So Naaman goes to him and Elisha says, go wash in the river Jordan seven times and God will heal you. At which point Naaman throws a little hissy fit and gets all offended, kind of how dare you, you know, he's washed seven times, you know, I thought there'd be a big fanfare or something. Uh, And so he, he basically sulks and moans and whinges. Eventually Naaman goes down to the Jordan, washes and God heals him. So Naaman goes back to Elisha with the gold and with all this stuff to say thank you. And says, can I give you some of this gold? But Elisha says, no, there's no way. I'm not going to take your money. And Naaman says, okay, and heads off. So that's the story. But you've got to know the story to understand the word of knowledge. While this is happening, Elisha's servant, Gehazi, is listening to what's going on. And he thinks to himself, I will get some of Naaman's money. I will get some of Naaman's money. So he chases after Naaman and he tells him a cock and bull story about, oh, sorry, um, two young prophets have just turned up and my master Elisha requests just a little bit of money to help them. And so Naaman says, well, fine, here's some, here's some money, here's some clothes. And he gives them to Gehazi, who takes them, thanks very much. And he goes back home and he hides them in his house. And he thinks that no one knows about it. But God has revealed what's happened through a word of knowledge to Elijah, to to Elisha. Let me read to you from verse 25. It says, when he went in and stood before his master, that's Gehazi, Elisha asked him, where have you been, Gehazi? Your servant didn't go anywhere, Gehazi answered. But Elisha said to him, was not my spirit with you when, when the man got down from his chariot to meet you? Is this the time to take money or accept clothes or olive groves or vineyards or flocks or herds, male or female slaves? Naaman's leprosy will cling to you and your descendants forever. Then Gehazi went from Elisha's presence and his skin was leprous and it became as white as snow. Now when he said, didn't my spirit go with you? He doesn't mean his. He meant, no, no, God's Holy Spirit went with you and saw you. He saw you, Gehazi, when you were lying on my behalf and in the name of God. He saw everything. And clearly, God had given Elisha a word of knowledge explaining what had happened. It was a a fact that he didn't know humanly. God gave it to him in order that the truth could be revealed. And that's what we see there. There's actually another example of it in Acts 5, I put it in your notes, when in the early church, a couple called Ananias and Sapphira, they sold some property and they said that they were going to give all the, all the money to the church. But they didn't. They decided to, to, to keep some of it back, but still lie and say that they had done. And again, God gave the Peter a word of knowledge about what they'd done because he challenges them and confronts them, and it doesn't end well for them, as you can read in Acts 5, verse 1 to 5. Now, the thing here is not, the issue was not that they sold something and didn't give all the money to the church. The issue was that they sold something, said, we're going to give all the money to the church, took a little bit, put it in their back pocket, and then said, oh, here's all the money that we got for it. They lied. They lied, barefaced lie to the leaders of the church, really the way Peter puts it, a barefaced lie to God. You're trying to lie to God. You're trying to trick God. 
and they pay a price for it. So there's two examples there that we see God giving a word of knowledge. And in those cases, it's to reveal the truth. Let's go on to a second uh, lot to help God's people. Because we see this a lot going through Scripture. We see words of knowledge being given in order to help God's people. Again, let's go back to two kings. And this time, Israel is at war with Aram. And the king of Aram, he keeps moving his men around to camp them where he thinks the king of Israel is going to come bringing his army past so that the king of Aram can attack them. But the problem is that God keeps telling Elisha, the prophet, exactly where the Aramean army is camped. In other words, he keeps giving him words of knowledge about where they are. And the Israelites then send out the scouts on their horses or whatever, and they go, oh yeah, that's where, that's where they're camped, the, the, the Aramean army. We won't go that way. And it keeps happening time and time again. And it infuriates the king of Aram, who calls all his officers together, and he says to them, who is betraying us? And they reply this. None of us, my lord, the king, said his officers. But Elisha, the prophet who is in Israel, tells the king of Israel the very words you speak in your bedroom. <laughs> I mean, how frustrating if you've got an army and God is telling the opposition exactly what you're doing all the time. That's what the king of Aram is saying here. Oh, I'm fighting God here. God's giving words of knowledge. He's giving information via Elisha to warn his people of the enemy's plans. There's another good example in 2 Kings, which really resolves this crisis moment. And previously, what had happened with Elisha is that a man and a woman, whose names I don't think are given, have shown him hospitality and kindness. And so, we know they don't have any children. We know they're old. It appears he's older than her. And it seems that Elisha kind of calls them to him and says, look, yeah, what can I do for you? What can I kind of do to repay your kindness? And it's clear what they really want is a child, but they don't really want to ask. And he says to them, in a years from now, although you're old, you're, you're going to have a child. God's going to bless you with a child. And they do. They have a child in their old age. It's wonderful. And then one day, this lad, he's a boy, he gets seriously ill. And the mother races to Elisha, the prophet, in absolute despair. And Elisha can see she's in a state, but he doesn't know why or what to do. And interestingly, he says that God has actually hidden that from him. Let me read you verse 27. When she reached the man of God at the mountain, she took hold of his feet. Gehazi, there he is again, came over to push her away. But the man of God said, leave her alone. She's in bitter distress. For the Lord has hidden it from me and has not told me why. And then she says this in verse 28. Did I ask for a son, my Lord? She said, didn't I tell you don't raise my hopes? That's all she says to him. Now, seemingly in that moment, God uses what she's just said, but also gives Elisha a word of knowledge that actually reveals What's going on? Because suddenly, Elisha knows why she's so distressed. 
how serious it is. He gives clear instructions what's to be done. Says to his servant, go, run, don't stop, lay my staff on the boy's face. Listen to what he says. Tuck your cloak into your belt, take my staff in your hand and run. Don't greet anyone you meet. If anyone greets you, do not answer. Lay my staff on the boy's face. In a moment, Elisha knows what is to be done. And you can read the rest of the story, but suffice to say, the boy is saved. And right at the center, in this moment of crisis, I believe what we see is God giving this word of knowledge, this piece of information, revealing this fact to Elisha, which then means that Elisha knows what needs to be done, and it opens the door for God to move and to save this boy. Another example we see in Scripture is around salvation. Let me read you John 14, John 4, 16 to 19. This is Jesus speaking to a lady at the well. He told her, go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you've had five husbands and the man you now have is not your husband. What you've just said is quite true, sir. Quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see you are a prophet. Now, this is a famous incident uh, where Jesus ministers to this Samaritan woman at the well. And quite rightly, a lot is made of it today about how countercultural Jesus was being in this moment. But it's easy to think that but miss the fact that right at the heart of this incident is a word of knowledge. And that word of knowledge leads her on a path of salvation. And the word of knowledge is this, that she's had five husbands and the man she's now with is not her husband. Now, Jesus doesn't expose her sin, which is what it is, in order to shame her or to bring punishment from those around. But he does it, I believe, because it shows her that he knows what she is doing. God knows. She knows that what she is doing is wrong. But what it does is it puts her on this pathway that eventually leads her to salvation. Because if you read on in the passage, you see that she goes back to her village and she invites them to come and meet a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? <laughs> Jesus never told her everything she ever did. But he did get a word of knowledge from God that revealed the fact that God knows everything that she's ever done. And it makes her wonder, and is this Jesus, is he the Messiah? Is he the Savior? Is he the one who's been promised? And because she does that, it says later in the passage, lots of the villagers came to meet with Jesus and got saved. And they said, originally, I, we only came because and we believe because of your testimony, but now we've met him, we believe as well. She came to believe in Jesus. Numbers in the village came to believe in Jesus through her witness, through her testimony. And she came to believe in Jesus when this word of knowledge was shared with her because it revealed to her, God knows, God knows me. God cares enough about me to offer me forgiveness and salvation and restoration of relationship with him. 
the word of knowledge got her on that kind of road and path. The next one we see is healing. Let me again read to you a couple of verses from Acts 9 around Saul. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias, yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him to go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he's praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. So in Acts, we've read how Paul, then called Saul, has just been blinded on the road to Damascus. He's going there to persecute the Christians. God steps in, blinds him, knocks him off his horse, and he's told, now go to the city and wait. And at the same time, God then gives this man Ananias, a different Ananias than the one we mentioned earlier, a word of knowledge. And God gave it to him through a vision. A dream is when you close your eyes and see something. A vision is when you have your eyes open and you're still seeing it. He gives him a word of knowledge that the means that God uses is through a vision. He enables him to see what God wants to say to him. And the vision he's seeing is that he, Ananias, is called to go to this specific house, Judas's house, which is on this specific street, Straight Street. And when you get there, ask for a guy named Saul from Tarsus. And God shows him in the vision that God has also told this guy Saul from Tarsus that he's going to be blinded and that a guy called Ananias will come and lay hands on him and he'll be out of heel and be seen. That's quite amazing, that, isn't it? God gives him, Ananias, the vision of what Ananias needs to do. And in it, he's also telling him that I'm also giving a vision to the guy you're going to go and see. Talk about a setup. I've, t- I've given him the same a vision of what's going to happen and you're going to turn up and it's going to happen as it. And it did. What God said happened would happen. So again, we see this giving of very specific information and fact, which actually brings about healing. That's what God wanted to happen. He wanted Saul to, in a sense, be healed, restored. And actually, this was, this was all about Saul being on the path to being the Gentile, the guy who was going to go and share the gospel to the Gentiles. So just some biblical examples. And maybe it's easy to miss them because the Bible doesn't shout hey, this is a word of knowledge. But when you read it, you understand, oh, that's what God must have done. God's revealed something that only God knows. How is this gift to be exercised? Let me just talk a little bit about that. Uh, I think I put in your notes, you can ask for it or it can be given to you by God or imparted. I haven't got time for that. Let me just move on to how is this gift to be exercised? Like with all spiritual gifts, actually, if you're going to exercise gifts, we need to be in a right, open relationship with God. In other words, we don't need to be perfect, but we do need to be walking with God. That's the place we should all look to always be in, but especially if we're going to ask God to speak to us in order to bless, to speak to others, to be used. So the first thing, actually, in terms of being used is to make sure that we are in a good relationship with God. Second thing we need to do then is to ask God, what is it that you want to reveal? What what is it that you want to speak about God? Now, it could be there's an incident going on, and so you're saying, God, could you speak into that? Or it could just be like when we gathered this morning, God, what do you want to say? God, what do you want to say to someone here this morning? And God may reveal or show us things in a whole number of different ways. 
exactly with prophesying or in any other way that God speaks. But God might, you might see a word, you might see a sentence, you might see a picture in your mind's eye. You might hear, you might hear the audible voice of God. I don't know why I do that when I say the audible voice of God. That's how I imagine it to be. Hello. Uh, but you, know, you, might, you might hear just a word or a phrase that keeps in your mind's ear. It's just there. You might have a Bible verse or character suddenly drawn to mind. When I was worshipping this morning, I, I saw a picture of, the, of a curtain being torn in two. That's what I saw. Curtain being drawn in two. I thought, now where's that? Is that biblical? Curtain drawn in. Yes, it is. That's how God spoke to me this morning. That, oh, there's a verse about that. Oh, yeah. Oh, God, yeah, that's what happened when that happened. So sometimes you feel a pain or sensation in your body, and somehow that pain doesn't quite feel like it's your pain. Maybe it's God showing you. He wants to come and heal someone or speak to someone, and he's using that pain to begin to speak to you about it. Maybe I find this. Sometimes God will remind you of a memory or recall something to mind. Maybe it's something you've had in your life. Maybe even a part of a film, a story. There's something that you know, and God kind of pulls it up and brings it into focus and begins to speak to you through it. Often, if I'm in a room like this and I was going to ask God to speak to me for someone here, I'd be doing this. I'd be looking around at the stuff. I'd, I'd look like that. I'd look, oh, look at that. Oh, I'm, what I'm doing is I'm scanning the whole room and I'm waiting for God to suddenly draw my attention to that that whatever that is out there there's a tree or or oh look at that there's why am I looking at that guitar God why am I why why God are you drawing my attention oh, that's just how I sometimes do it because I find that's how God sometimes speaks to me the key is not to do it how I do it the key to know is how does God speak to you and then ask him so that's what we need to do we need to ask God is there something you want to reveal and then if there is something we need to say okay God what are you showing us what do you want to reveal? What do you want? Is this the right time to share this? Is this the right setting? Uh, often it is. Sometimes there isn't. I think with a little common sense and godly wisdom, I think it's quite easy to work out whether it's the not the right moment to share. I mean, God loves you. I think there's someone here who's got a bad ankle or whatever. is fine to share anytime. There are a few things that I think there are a few red flag about, a few warnings if I have a prophetic word or a word of knowledge about these, I'll just, I'll just stop for a moment. My rule of thumb is no hatches, matches, or dispatches. No babies, no marriage, no deaths. Don't tell people they're going to have a baby, they're going to get married, or they're going to die, right? Just, or move, right? Just don't do that in, in, in the moment. Take some time. You are treading on careful ground there. So I'm not saying God doesn't speak about those things. I'm just saying... If I had something like that, I wouldn't blurt it out in the moment. Same with exposure of sin. If it's something, if it's going to expose someone's sin, I'm not just going to blurt it out at a public setting. I'm going to think through, I'm going to pray through, maybe I'm going to talk to others who may know them, some elders in the church. So just to say, there are, you know, we just got to be a little bit mindful of what we're bringing and why, and is it the right setting. But the truth is, most prophetic words or words of knowledge that God brings are absolutely fine to share. And I don't think that generally in the West at the moment, our issue is that we would bring too much things. Uh, 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 I think our issue is that we, we don't listen to God enough and share what he's got for us. So I would always want to go that way. 
I think in our daily lives, in our daily lives, I think God is very able and willing to give us words of knowledge and prophetic words that can help us with any issue or problem that we're needing to face. I also think when we come together as a church, like now on a Sunday morning, it's great. We come together to worship God, right? To worship God, to lift up his name and his praise. And we come together and we can learn some stuff together through his word. And we can fellowship together with one another. And the other thing that we can do is we can corporately listen to God and then share what it is that he has revealed. We, we, we can listen. We can all listen. And it might be a word of knowledge that God then wants to do something immediately. It might be a prophetic word, a now word, God wanting to encourage, to comfort, to strengthen. But I, I, I think that when we come together, it's a moment. If we will listen to God and if we will share, I believe that he will speak. And I believe that we'll see him move. And I don't know what God wants to do Sunday by Sunday, no more than you do. But I do believe that we can listen together. So actually, that's what we're going to do right now. I'm just going to give us a few minutes. And I'm just going to pray again and ask that if there's anything that God wants to share, any words, any prophetic words, any words of knowledge, anything God wants to reveal to us this morning, I'm just going to ask him to do that. And then I'm going to invite, if you have anything, to come up and share. So Lord Jesus, we do. We just sit and wait on you in this moment. And Lord, we pray if there is anything that you want to reveal, that you want shared this morning, any prophetic word, word of knowledge, anything, Lord, for our brothers and sisters, anything that directs what you want to do this morning, we just ask you, Holy Spirit, would you come and reveal it to one of us, some of us, many of us? Right now, in Jesus' name. Yeah, yeah.